Howard Hill is considered by those who are in the sport the greatest archer of all times. He won 196 straight archery competitions. He won seven national archery golf tournaments, although I must admit that when you were the one who wrote the rule book, you ought to be able to at least win a couple of those, right? But still, he wrote the rule book. He was used in several movies as the stand-in, who would be the guy that would actually shoot the bow and arrow, Robin Hood, Buffalo Bill. He was one who could shoot the arrow right into the bullseye and then follow it up with the second one and split it right down the middle. I mean, he was just awesome. However, I am convinced that I could beat him. I wouldn't need any help. I wouldn't need any training. I wouldn't need any practice. If he were still alive, I could beat him. All I would need is to blindfold him and spin him around a couple times. That's it. Because the reality is, if you can't see what you're shooting for, if you don't know what you're aiming at, you're just not going to hit it. And so I am certain that as long as I could see what I was aiming at, I could do better than him if I had spun him around and he were blindfolded. That's really the case with everything. That's the case for us as individuals. If we don't know what we're aiming for or what it is that we're trying to accomplish, we won't do very well. That's the way it is with businesses. If a business has never figured out exactly what it is that it is supposed to be accomplishing, what work it's supposed to be doing, it, it won't ever hit the mark. And that's the way it is for the local congregation. If a local congregation doesn't understand what it is that they're trying to accomplish, what work it is that they actually have to do, then that local congregation may do all kinds of things, may be involved in all kinds of activities, but they're not going to hit the goal and they're not going to know how to measure what they're doing. And so with that in mind, I think we need to ask the question, what is our work as a local church? What is the work that the Lord has given the Franklin Church of Christ? Now, I know that almost all of you have heard the three-point sermon about the work of the church. I know that most of you are saying, oh, I know the answer to this one, evangelism, edification, benevolence of the saints. And you're thinking about taking a nap. Or you're now thinking about what's for lunch. I want us to back up. I want us to stop and think, is that, uh, is that threefold answer that we've heard all our lives, is that, is that really the accurate answer? Is that really what we should be doing? I think we need to back up and reconsider. Let's just go to Scripture and see what the Scripture says and see what our work is. Because I'll tell you, one of the things I'm becoming more and more convinced of is that when we have these formulized answers, when we, when we try to systemize everything, sometimes we... Well, sometimes it ends up leading us astray eventually. Sometimes we establish our little formula, we come up with our catechistic type answer to the question that people might ask, and then all of a sudden our formula begins to supersede what the Scripture says. And, and instead of judging things by the Scripture, we judge things by the formula that we've come up with. Now, insofar as the church is supposed to evangelize and is supposed to edify and is supposed to offer benevolence and relief to the saints, I agree that that is part of our work. But what I want us to do is look at the Scripture and see what mission God has given the church. 
And by extension, the local church. Because I believe that a local church is essentially supposed to be a representation of the universal church in miniature. It's kind of a, a microcosmic picture of what that universal church is supposed to be. And what God has asked of His universal church, that's what we, as a local congregation, are supposed to be doing. Now, I want us to consider that for a few moments this morning. What is it that God has said we are supposed to accomplish? What is it as a church? Now, please keep in mind, I'm talking about us as a local congregation. As we go through this lesson, I'm not really talking about us as individual Christians. There are things that we as individual Christians are supposed to be doing and involved in that aren't in the scope of the local congregation. So please, when I say we throughout this sermon, I'm speaking about us working as this congregation, not us working as Christians in the world. So make sure that you understand that as we go through this lesson. So what is our work as a local congregation? What is it that God has given us to do? That's what I want us to look at this morning. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you, and we pray that you would be with us this morning as we study your word. Please be with me, that I can have the proper attitude and the proper motivation. Father, help us uh, as we go through this, that everything that will be said will be in accord with your will, that we'll be strengthened to study just your word and not just submit to the formulas that have been come up with by preachers before us but help us to come to your truth and understand it and know it so that we can practice it here in this community. Father, we pray that you would be glorified, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us be the glory, but unto your name, because we love you so much, and you are the creator, you are the redeemer, you're the judge, you're the sovereign ruler of the universe, and we're in awe that you've allowed us to come together here to glorify you and to edify one another. And we pray that you would help us to uphold your truth and shine the light to the world to see so that you might be honored and glorified. Father, forgive us for what we've done wrong. Forgive us for the times when we, whether as individuals or as a congregation, done things that aren't in accord with your will, that don't glorify you. Help us to turn away from that. And be with us especially throughout this lesson, that our hearts will be open to your word, that we'll be moved to work and magnify and honor you. Through your Son we pray. Amen. I would like to lay one more piece of groundwork before we get into the meat of the lesson, and that is, is that so often when we deal with lessons like this, where we talk about the work of the church, so often we start looking outward at all the churches that are out there that we think aren't doing the work of the church. And, and there are a lot. There are a lot of churches today that are doing things that God just didn't ask local congregations to do, and there's a lot of confusion about that. But it doesn't do us any good to take a look at them. You know, that's, that's them. We're an autonomous body. It's our job to make sure we're doing what God has said. And it's not enough for us to be able to say that there's a whole bunch of things God doesn't want us to do that we're not doing. What we need to look at is the things that God says He wants us to do, are we really doing them? So that's, as we, as we take a look at this lesson, that's what I'm hoping that you can ask about us as a congregation. Not, not are there a whole bunch of things that we're not doing that others are, but rather, is there something God has asked of us and what are we doing with it? Are we doing what God wants? Let's think about that. The very first question we need to ask as we consider this is, who decides? Who decides our work? Who gets to tell the local congregation what to do? Do we just get together and decide what it is that we're going to do? Is it the elders? Do the elders just get to decide, here's the work for the local congregation? Who gets to decide what the work of this congregation is? I'd like you to take a look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, it says, And He, that's the Father, put all things under His 
that's the Son, that's Jesus, under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Jesus Christ is the head of the body. Jesus is the one that gets to decide what the church is supposed to do. Now, I understand that this text is talking about the universal church. But as I pointed out, I believe these, these statements made about the church as a universal body also refer to the local church. Because here we are, this representation in miniature of that universal body. Jesus is the head of the universal church, but Jesus is also the head of this local congregation. He gets to decide what it is that we're supposed to do. Now, I understand that Jesus has provided for earthly leadership within a local congregation. In 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, it says, and this is in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. Peter's talking about how a local church works. He says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I recognize that God has established elders, shepherds, pastors, bishops, whichever of those terms you want to use for these men, to lead and oversee the local congregation. It even talks about the flock that are in their charge. They have charge over us. Even though they're not supposed to be domineering, they still have charge over us as their examples to the flock. And so they lead, and, and there's certainly aspects of decisions that they make for the local congregation. But what I want you to notice is verse 4. Because even these shepherds who are leading the congregation are actually in submission to the chief shepherd. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The, the elders, the shepherds, the bishops, the pastors, they do not get to just say, we're going to do whatever we want. They have to go back to what the chief shepherd has said. They have to submit based upon what the chief shepherd has directed and asked of a congregation. I understand that the chief shepherd has given a lot of room in some of these areas. And elders make those kind of decisions. But the overarching work that we're supposed to do, Jesus has established that. And we don't get to change that. In fact, we see a great example of this. If you take a look in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and chapter 3, we all know about the seven letters sent to the seven churches of Asia. And what you notice in all seven of them is Jesus, as the chief shepherd, is telling that congregation, here's what you're supposed to do. Because Jesus is the head. He didn't just send a letter to the messenger of the churches and say, y'all need to figure out what you're doing. He said, here's what it is that the local congregation is supposed to do. In chapter 2 and verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. In chapter 2 and verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. In verse 12, to the angel of the church of Pergamum, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. And we can look at each one of those letters and we see that Jesus is saying, I'm the boss. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm the one. I'm the one that has the two-edged sword. I'm the one that has the, uh, I'm the first and the last who died and came to life. I'm the one that walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's, that's Jesus talking to the churches. He says, I'm the boss here. Y'all need to do what I say. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Jesus gets to tell the congregation what to do. We don't get to just do whatever we want. We have to submit to our chief shepherd. And so we ask the question, well, 
What work has He given us? What work has the chief shepherd given for us to do? Well, as I've studied the Scripture and as I've searched and, and, and looked at places where the church is mentioned, i found two passages that provide us overarching principles for our work. Two things that the local congregation, the church universal and the local congregation, are supposed to be accomplishing, and this needs to be our mission. This needs to be what we're aiming at. The very first thing I want to share with you is found in Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, Brother Duncan read to us just moments ago, verses 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church. To Him be glory in the church. Our job is to give glory to God. That's the local church's responsibility. Our work is to glorify God. And that should govern everything that we do. Revelation chapter 4 gives us a great example of this. When we think about the idea of glorifying God, we think about the idea of worship and praise and honor. In Revelation chapter 4, beginning at verse 8, we see a great example of this. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. Our God is the creator of the universe. He is the one that sustains it and keeps it running. Without Him, it wouldn't exist and it wouldn't continue on. He says, because of that, they glorified Him. And they said, you're worthy to receive glory and worthy to receive honor. That's what the church is for. And that's what the local church is for. The local church is here to offer glory and honor and praise to our God who is worthy. That is our work. That is our primary function. To point folks to the Lord so that He might be glorified. Acts chapter 12 gives us good insight to glorifying God. In Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 20, Herod Agrippa I had a little problem. In Acts 12 and verse 20 it says, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. 
and He was eaten by worms and breathed His last. How easy it is to, to bring the glory to ourselves. How easy it is, especially as a local congregation, to want to puff ourselves up and demonstrate ourselves to the world. Oh, look at our building. Oh, look at how many people we have. Oh, look at all the things we do. Look at our plans. Look at our programs. Look at how amazing we are. That's not our job. Our job is to point the glory toward God. Our job is for people around us to see what we're doing and say God is great, not the Franklin Church is great. Our job is to point the glory to the Lord. Leviticus chapter 10 also gives us insight. In Leviticus chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu, beginning at verse 1, took glory away from the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. But notice what Moses said to Aaron in verse 3. This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. This is what God has said for us. Among all the people, I will be sanctified and glorified. See, what Nadab and Abihu did didn't glorify God. It didn't give glory to God because they did things their own way. What we recognize is that among all the things that might be a part of the work that we do, that, that fit into the headings that we can assign to our work, we are only accomplishing this overarching principle when we're doing things God's way. It's only when we're doing what He has authorized that we're giving glory to God. Now, we can do a lot of things that a lot of people like and get a lot of people excited, but if what we're doing is not what God has authorized, then we're not glorifying Him. We need to give glory to God. That is the job of the local congregation. Now, I do need to throw in one side comment here. Because I know with the, with the history of, of the things that we've heard and the lessons that we've heard, we've heard that evangelism, edification, and benevolence of the saints. Somebody's going to say, I just already pointed out, so you have found two passages, and folks are going to wonder, well, wait a minute, are you saying we can't do that? No, 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 obviously... Relief to needy saints is certainly authorized. We can look at passages where that happened. Acts 4, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We see that taking place. But I want you to notice something in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 18. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 18, the Scripture says, With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord and to show our goodwill. Do you see that? The issue behind relief of the saints was not just that God had given some other kind of work, but rather it was the idea that when, when the church takes care of its own, ministering God's grace through the blessings that He's given some of us to help others, and therefore God is blessing them through us, God is glorified. And that is done not to our glory, because look at how generous we were, but to God's glory. Because His people are taken care of. Overarching work that we have is to glorify God. The second passage that I want you to notice about the overarching principle of our work 
It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 it says, If I delay, this is Paul writing to Timothy, he's explaining why he's writing to him. He says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Or yours may say a pillar and support of the truth. The church's job is to uphold the truth. Now, once again, I know folks look at this and say, well, that's the universal church. But again, we say that the local church is that representation in miniature. But I'd also like to point out something to you. Within the context, as Paul wrote to Timothy about elders in verse 4, it's uh, chapter 3, verse 4, it says, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? You know, the point there is, if he can't care for his own household, how can he care for God's household? There he's talking about the local church. And then just a few verses later, he talks about how to conduct himself in the household of God. I think he's talking about our relationships within the local church and the work there. So he points out that the church of the living God is the pillar and support of the truth. That is our job, to uphold it, to lift it up. The church's job is to hold that truth up so that everybody can see. Our job is not to decide what is truth. Our job is not to choose what is truth. Our job is not to vote on what is truth. Our job is to find the truth that God has given us and hold it up for the world to see. That's our job. That's the church's job, to hold that truth up. But I can't help but think about what Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Catch that? I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we're holding up the truth, what is it that we uphold? We uphold Jesus. We uphold Jesus, who He was, what He taught, what He stands for. That's the thing that we need to uphold. All too often, what we're upholding is not Jesus and His truth, but us and how awesome we are at keeping the truth when everybody else is not. That's not what it's saying we uphold. It's not let's uphold how awesome we are at keeping the truth. It's let's uphold Jesus. Why? John 8, 32. John 8 and verse 32. Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. Jesus did not say, You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you right. He didn't say, You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you better than everybody else. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We uphold Jesus for the world to see because Jesus is the only way people can be set free. We need to understand, though, on the other side of this, that this idea of upholding Jesus is not just, let's talk about Jesus so people can feel good. It's not, let's, let's talk about Jesus so everybody can get these nice warm fuzzies. If we're going to talk about Jesus, notice what it said in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We uphold Jesus because His Word is the way it works. His Word is what will set us free. If we change that, folks aren't going to be getting set free. Our job is to hold up that truth 
so that folks can be set free. As I look through the Scripture, this is the overarching principle for our work. This is our mission. This is what we're shooting for. This is what we need to measure ourselves by. Are we giving glory to God? Are we upholding the truth? Our job is to worship and our job is to teach. You know, one of the problems is we've, we've, we've said that our job is to evangelize and to edify and benevolence of the saints. Well, the problem that that's caused is we actually then change the definition of evangelism and we change the definition of edification to make that work. We've said evangelism is teaching the lost. Edification is teaching the saved. Guys, that's really not true. Evangelism is proclaiming the gospel. That's evangel. That's what that word means. It means to proclaim the gospel. Without reference to whether you're proclaiming it to the lost or to the saved. Edification means to build people up. Whether they're lost or they're saved. But what we are supposed to do is teach. We are supposed to evangelize and edify. We are supposed to proclaim the gospel. We are supposed to build folks up. That's what upholding the truth is all about. That's our job. Glorify God, uphold truth. Worship God, teach Jesus. That's our job. Well, we need to ask ourselves the question, how do we pay for that? If we're going to do our work, how do we subsidize that? You know, it's, it's really kind of silly to think that God might establish an institution like the church, give us work to accomplish, and then when it comes time to have to pay for any of that work, to say, well, you, you can't pay for it. Implicit in giving us the command to do work is the authority to somehow pay for it. How are we going to do that? Well, in the Scripture, we can look at passages where the early church did work and how they came up with that. We can look at two examples, Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. Actually, let's go ahead and drop down to verse 34. There was, this is Acts 4.34. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Then we can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Verse 1. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 1. Now the concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. When the early church had work to accomplish, how did they come up with the funds? Did they ask local businesses to, to support them? Did they put up a bake sale or a garage sale? No. The members contributed. The individual members contributed to the local church. In Acts, they laid it at the apostles' feet. The apostles divvied it up. Please notice, that's not the same. It's certainly possible that, that uh, if Gordon needed something, I could go personally give something to Gordon. That's me doing that. But when that money was laid at the apostles' feet and then passed on, that's the church doing And in Corinth, it was certainly possible for individual Christians to take some money to Judea and help the brethren there. But when they put it in this collection, it became the churches, and the church was now accomplishing that work. So how did the church subsidize its work? Collection of the members. 
then that's exactly what we need to be doing. We have work to do. How is it going to be accomplished? How is it going to be paid for? It's by us contributing to that work. We're not going to do bake sales. We're not going to do garage sales. We're not going to go around hitting up businesses in the area, hoping that they'll give us some money to support us. That's just not what we're going to do. Collection from the members. There's one final thing that we need to think about here. And that is that we need to limit ourselves to the work that God has given us. Satan is working hard today to distract churches from the work God has given them. But you know, Satan's smart. Satan is not going to come up to a church and say, here's what you need to do. Instead of glorifying God and upholding His truth, what you need to do is open up a bar and and support a casino and establish a brothel. We'd all look at that and say, well, that's ridiculous. We know we're not going to do that. But instead, what he does is he holds out something that just looks really good. And says, you know what? Here's what what I think you need to do. You need to open an inner city soup kitchen to feed the poor. Or he says, you know, here's what you need to do. You need to open up a school to educate the little children. Or here's what you need to do. You need to start a hospital to help all the people that are sick. Or you need to have an orphan's home or a retirement home. Oh, here's the good things that you need to do. Now, are all those things good things to do? Well, of course they are for individuals. But what we need to understand is that's not the work God has given the local congregation. God has not made the local congregation in order to babysit kids and let mothers have a day out. He just hasn't given that to the local church. That's not the local church's job. God has not given to the church, the local church, the responsibility of societal benevolence and and material welfare to the world in general. That's just not our job. God has not given the local church the job to figure out a cure for diabetes or heart disease or cancer. God has not given it to the local church to provide homes for the homeless. That's just not what He's told the local church to do. The local church is to glorify God and uphold His truth to worship God and teach people about the, the, the freedom that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what He's told us to do. Now, the problem is, is that the social gospel has held sway even in America now for a hundred years or more. And when folks hear this kind of thing today, they're just amazed. How, how could it possibly be that it's not the church's job to do all of this stuff? And then they start saying bad things about us. Oh, you guys hate orphans, and you guys don't like old people, and you guys uh, don't care anything about education, and, and you don't love people. That's just not true. It's just not true. I'd like you to think about this. My dad died of cancer. My father-in-law died of cancer, so cancer is pretty important to me. As an individual, I'm going to support things like the American Cancer Society. But what would happen if I were to call up the American Cancer Society and say, listen, there's an orphan's home here in town that's really in trouble. Could you donate some money to them? What are they going to say? They're going to say no. If I called up the American Cancer Society and said, we've got a retirement home here that's low on funds and 
they're going to have to cut out some of the folks that are, that are living here, and they need some money, what would the American Cancer Society say? They'd say no. Does that mean they don't like old people? Does that mean they hate orphans? No. If I called up the American Cancer Society and said, the American Diabetes Association is really struggling, do you think you could give them some money? you know what they're going to say? They're going to say no. Does that mean they don't like people who have diabetes or they don't care about folks who are suffering from that? No, it doesn't mean that at all. If I called up the American Cancer Society and said, listen, I know a lady, her husband has left her, she's pregnant, she's got three kids, it's just a terrible situation, they're about to cut off her electricity, can you guys give her some money? You know what the American Cancer Society is going to say? They're going to say no. Does that mean they don't care about people who are having a hard time? No. If I, if I called up the American Cancer Society and said, look, we're a church and we're trying to save people's souls, could you give us some money? You know what the American Cancer Society is going to say? They're going to say no. Does that mean that the people in the American Cancer Society don't care about people's sins and salvation? No, it doesn't mean that at all. See, the American Cancer Society understands something. The American Cancer Society understands that they have a mission. Their job is to search for a cure for cancer and to help folks who are struggling with cancer. That's their job. That's their mission. Their mission is not to help folks with diabetes. Their mission is not to help the homeless. Their mission is not to provide Christmas and Thanksgiving baskets for folks who are in a hard time. Their mission is not to provide homes for the homeless. And their mission is not to save people's souls. And so when you call them, what they're going to say is no, and in fact, what they'll say is that would be illegal. The reason I know that is because I've actually done that. I've called the American Cancer Society and asked these questions. And they point out that would be illegal. We have a charter that says here's what we're supposed to do. If we gave you money for that, it would be a violation of the mission of our charter. Now, do individuals within the American Cancer Society get involved in all of those things? I'm sure they do. But the American Cancer Society won't because it knows its mission. What the local church needs to do is no matter what anybody says, no matter how they feel about it, we need to accomplish our mission and not get distracted by all these other things. Our job is not to get people elected. Our job is not to make sure laws pass. Our job is not to entertain. It's not to recreate. It's not to socialize. Our job is to glorify God and to uphold His truth so people can be set free. That's our job. And if we start doing all this other stuff, we're not going to get our job done. We need to stick with our job. And so the question is, as I pointed out at the beginning, how well are we doing? Are we doing our work? Our question today is not, is everybody else doing the work? The question is, are we doing the work? Are we glorifying God? Are we upholding the truth for the world to see? That's the question. How are we doing?